0: Thank you for listening to Emmanuel Baptist Church's podcast. For more information about the church, please visit our website at www.emanuelmanning.com. Thanks, and enjoy the sermon. Well, we're looking today at Mark chapter 1, verses 21 through 21 through 34. So follow along as I read. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up and the fever left her and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. There was a uh, PhD project done at the... Uh, Ohio State University. Go Buckeyes. Um, I'm not a Buckeyes fan. just Don't worry. Um, I watch soccer. What do I know? I'm kidding. Um, we got off track quick, didn't we? It was a PhD project uh, dissertation about why America loves reality TV. And if I were to ask you why America loves reality TV, that you might get lots of answers. And indeed, there were lots of answers that were thought about uh, as uh, they did some surveys of some people. I mean, think about reality television. I'll be honest with you. I have a list in my head of if I could go back in time and change three things, you know, one of them would, of course, first be to see the Lord. The second, and I really do mean this, is to shoot the person who came up with the idea of reality television. Um, but that's just me. Um, it's, it's become increasingly hard to avoid. Uh, Temptation Island was a salacious show that was on the cover of People Magazine. Big Brother, I think still airs five days a week and you can go on the internet and watch 24 hours a day. Survival dominated the front page of some New York papers and uh, the ratings rivaled those of the Super Bowl. The popularity of such shows uh, makes us wonder if this is a sign that we are a country now that has degenerated into a nation of peeping toms. But as they did more research, what they discovered, and this may not be true for everyone, but for the vast majority of people that they talked to, what they found is the reason that people love to watch reality television is so that ordinary people, they just watch that ordinary people have become popular um, and the secret thrill of many of those viewers is that uh, maybe perhaps next time uh, the celebrity will be them uh, you know watching American Idol or The Voice you hear that person sing and you think gosh what a moment I could probably do that right and so we watch them because we want to be like them well what's interesting about our passage today is that Mark from verses 21 to verse 34 basically covers a day in the life of Jesus Christ. And if any of you are thinking a day in the life is the name of Beatles song, I was gonna open with that, but I decided to go with reality TV. Um, we watch Jesus for this day. And just like people watch reality television in order to maybe hopefully one day be like those people, uh, hopefully as we look at this day in the life of Christ, uh, we will want to be like him in the ways that we can. This chapter reads a little bit like a journalistic documentary. The camera follows Jesus across a whole day from Sabbath morning until the evening. And so as we look at this section of scripture, I just want to look at this under a couple of headings. The first thing that we notice about Jesus is that he had authoritative teaching. He had authoritative teaching. And the second thing that we're going to see about Jesus is that he had patient compassion, authoritative teaching, and patient compassion. First, as we look at authoritative teaching, just to make a point, because I'm a pastor and you're obligated to make points like this. It says in verse 21, as they went into Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. Was teaching is an imperfect verb in the original, which means This was his habit. In other words, Jesus' habit was to beware on the Sabbath. Just saying. I love Jesus. I don't love the church. Good luck explaining that one. He was there with God's people, and he was teaching. And what's interesting is Mark, in this section and in the sections to follow, is going to use six different words to describe the the reaction that people had to Jesus they were astonished they were amazed uh, they responded and the response and Jesus's popularity is going to grow in this next section of mark as Jesus begins to do uh, many miraculous and authoritative things and, and what's going to happen in the next section of mark is some controversy is going to start his popularity gets to such an extent that the controversy begins which is why Jesus often tells people, don't say anything about what I did. Just go worship the Lord and uh, live your life. But here people are beginning to respond and they're beginning to see what he can do. And the response is astonishment because Jesus was teaching in the synagogue. And it says in verse 22, they were astonished at his teaching for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. What what does that mean? We have to understand that the scribes, the way they taught is in synagogue you'd get together, and a scribe would basically read a passage of Scripture, and uh, then they'd begin to talk about the history of interpretation of that. Now, there's only about 1% of us, I'm in that 1%, who would be in any way at all caring about the history of interpretation of a passage of Scripture. I mean, if I had said, in the 1700s, your read uh, thought about this passage and made these comments. And then in 1750, we, you would like be throwing hymnals at me. Uh, and, and that's what they did. And when Jesus came in, instead of teaching with a nod to the authority of the elders and the scribes, Jesus began to speak to them, directly to them, and he spoke the voice of God. It was, again, as if a prophet had entered into their midst. And you think, that must have been great. Would it be? Would it be? We think it would be great. But what if you were used to teaching that always pointed back and never really challenged your life. And then all of a sudden somebody comes in and they start speaking directly to you. It says this, that they were astonished in verse 22. That's not a good word. That that word carries connotations of almost offended. Like, dude, he's... He's calling forth some stuff. He wants us to adjust. He wants us to change. He's not giving us that boring stuff that we can kind of just listen to and then move on from and go back to my own way of thinking, go back to my own life, go back to my week, go back to the things I'm doing, go back to the things I'm interested in. When Jesus spoke, he kind of began to rile them up. As a matter of fact, it says in verse 23, immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he began to cry out. Do you understand that this synagogue was kind of functioning at a level where the demons were kind of okay to be there and not cause much of a fuss? And then when Jesus steps in and he begins to teach, not only do the people begin to get riled up, who else begins to get riled up? The demonic realm. They realize now that God is doing something different. Jesus speaks with authority. He teaches and when he speaks, the people knew that what he was saying they had to listen to. They had to obey. And when you hear something like that, there's a couple of responses. You either acknowledge that it's from the Lord and you obey or you harden your heart as you disobey. There's no way to come away from the hearing of God's word unchanged. It's just, are you made better or are you made worse? And these folks were beginning to be made worse. They had gotten used to legalism. They had gotten used to ritualism. They had gotten used to formalism. They were happy to come to church to check the box and to not in any way be challenged by the teaching of the word of God but then the word of God himself steps in and they begin to uh, have problems. Jesus not only kicked up dust in their hearts, he also kicked up dust in the spiritual realm. And he has authority there as well, doesn't he? The more you know about history, and don't worry, I'm not gonna talk about the history of interpretation, the more that's interesting about the way this unfolds. And so it says immediately there was a man uh, in a synagogue with an unclean spirit. Now let me say this, right out the gate, when the Bible talks about demon possession, it's to highlight Jesus' authority, not to spark your curiosity. We don't know a lot about demon possession and how it works, or, or a, even to what extent it operated in people's lives. We We have very little. And we have very little of it before Jesus, and we have it seems occurrences of it dying out after Jesus. And so the point is, when Jesus was on the scene, the demonic realm really kicked up. I've dealt with people who talk about long rituals that you have to go through because every sin in your life is somehow caused by a demonic spirit getting into the temple of your soul. And they say all these things, and I just look at the Bible and I go, that ain't there. What is there? is the authority of Jesus to actually speak a word without all those rituals. Because in the time of Jesus, there were people who thought that they could get demons out of people. And so they went through long, drawn-out rituals. You'll see people in our own day who teach this kind of nonsense. And what happened is, Jesus doesn't have to go through a ritual Jesus literally says five words in the Greek, shut up and get out. And what happens? The demon screams and he goes. You can tell there's some kind of power encounter going on there because this is why the demon says, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. There was a belief that if you knew somebody's name, you knew their essence and if you knew their essence, you had power over him. And so the demon said, I know who you are, You're the Holy One of God. And Jesus said, shut up and get out. In other words, Jesus has authority. I heard a story this week about a DEA agent who came to inspect the property of a local farmer because he thought maybe he was illegally growing drugs on his property. So after he explained to the farmer why he was there, the farmer just kind of scratched his chin and said, "I, I suppose it's okay for you to check the farm, but don't go into that field over there. The DEA agent immediately bristled at what he perceived to be a challenge to his authority. He pulled out his badge and sort of sticking out his chest to the man said, Do you see this badge? This badge means that I have authority to inspect any land, anywhere, anytime. No questions asked. Do you understand me? Yes, sir, the old farmer said and left the agent to it. Shortly after that, the farmer's chores were interrupted by a high-peach shriek coming from the DEA agent who could now be seen running for his life through the forbidden field, being chased by an angry bull that was being kept there. And with every step, the bull is gaining ground. And so the farmer, in his compassion, yelled out to the DEA agent, Show him the badge! (laughs) Jesus doesn't have to show his badge. And the point of what Mark is saying here is that the teaching of Jesus Christ is authoritative and it comes with spiritual power to arrest and stop the spiritual destruction that's going on in your life. And it would be well to be amazed and not to be astonished in a wrong way at the teaching of Jesus Christ. He speaks and things change. When he speaks we should be changing now do we change instantly like the demon possessed man very often not sometimes but the key is we're listening to the word and we're constantly adjusting ourselves in light of the word to be doing the things that Jesus would have us do when Jesus spoke he spoke with authority and he speaks to you and he should be heard with authority now listen to me I'm not saying I have authority the only time I you know I'm not the Pope so whenever I speak from the chair it's not your obligation to listen to me a pastor's only authority comes when he's saying what the Bible says and as soon as a pastor stops saying what the Bible says he no longer has any authority as soon as a pastor stops living what the Bible calls to live so that he is no longer above reproach He should be removed. The authority is Christ's and Christ's alone. But when a pastor is preaching the Bible, you as God's people, you as his creation, have an obligation to listen and to obey. He has authority. But the amazing thing, and this is the way it always works with Jesus, not only does he have authority, the Bible says he has patient compassion. He has patient compassion. After a day of teaching, listen to what it says in verse 29. And immediately, that's Mark's favorite word. Mark, is, he's an action guy, right? I mean, everybody else would have stopped and told you what Jesus said. Did Mark? No, he was a great teacher. Go read Matthew if you want to know what he said. Um, Mark is about action. But what's amazing uh, is that he still characterizes Jesus as a teacher. But Jesus had done this teaching. Let me tell you something. Teaching in a group is difficult. Can I get an Amen. You're nervous, right? I Like, when I register my exercise, you can register public speaking as an exercise because it burns calories. If not nearly enough, amen, but if some, some pastors probably should preach a whole lot longer. I'll grant you that. But Jesus, even though he had been worn out from teaching, it says immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now, Simon's mother-in-law... Put a little asterisk there. Who is Simon? Peter has a what? Which means Peter is And yet, all the popes who follow in the chair of Peter and the Roman Catholic Church and the priests can't get married. I think Peter would have an issue with that, but that's just me. Now, Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her, and he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. Notice the Bible makes a distinction there. There is sickness, and there's oppression by demons. And the whole city was gathered at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many who were possessed by demons. Well, possessed by demons is not really a good way to phrase It would not permit the, the demons to speak because they knew him. What's going on here? Imagine after a long day. You don't want to catch me after a long day. I hate to say that. You can ask my children. Daddy is meanest right before bedtime. Can I get an amen? Ben's giving a head shake. He knows. I have to apologize every now and then to my kids for my behavior after nine o'clock. But notice that Jesus had patient compassion. Just like Jesus had the capacity to speak the word and say shut up and get out and the demon shut up and got out. Did Jesus have the capacity to say to that fever, leave? But even after a long day, notice what it says. Verse 31, he came and he did what? Took her by the hand and he lifted her up and the fever left her. And not only does he do that, But that evening at sundown, they just brought person after person after person after person. And what did Jesus patiently do in his compassion? It says this, one pastor says this, he hardly had a moment to draw breath without someone making demands upon him. And yet, we don't see him get frustrated here. He doesn't get impatient with a needy crowd. He doesn't call these desperate people coming to him a distraction. Even though there's never an interruption, people... Are not for Jesus an inconvenience. As a matter of fact, He's here for them. He's here for us. And we begin to get into, again, this idea that, that I've told you about several times that the amazing thing about Jesus is not just that He has authority, but that He has authority that meets with compassion. Right? He, he, this is what Revelation says. Jonathan Edwards goes into this the diverse excellencies that are conjoined in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the lion and Jesus is the what? In other words, what Mark is trying to say here through this account is this, is that the Lord Jesus Christ is everything that you and I need. Sometimes we need an authoritative word, sometimes we need compassion, and we will find a savior who has the authority to make us better and the compassion for us to keep coming time and time again. Over and over again in the Gospels, it says that Jesus felt compassion for crowds. Jesus feels compassion for individuals. He feels with them. He feels for them. Jesus never, ever turns a broken sinner away. And there's something we can learn from this. One pastor says, the implication for Christ's people, those who are the recipients of his compassion, it's plain enough in the Gospels, but the epistles make it even clearer. The implications are that Christ not only has compassion for his people and gives them help, but he also forms his people into instruments of compassion on others. Paul says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Two things that happen in the, the Gospels that we need to learn today. The first is to not label people and then it's to look at them. If you want to grow in compassion, you want to learn to not label people and you want to learn to look at them. Because throughout the New Testament, when people bring sinners to Jesus, they bring them to Jesus with a label. This woman is an adulteress. This person is unclean. Here is a sinner. Label, 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 label. Now are people adulterers? Are they unclean? Are they sinners? Aren't you? We don't label people because when Jesus looked at people, he saw more than a label, he saw a what? A person with a story, with complex things that have fed into their lives, with things that have happened things that they've done to others, things that have happened to them. Jesus didn't look with a label. He looked at a person. I'm reading a a book right now called Life's Too Short to Pretend You're Not Religious. And listen to what it says. When I label people, I no longer have to deal with them thoughtfully. I no longer have to feel overwhelmed by their complexity, the lives they live, the dreams they have. I know exactly where they are inside my field of care because that's been taken care of. The mystery of their existence has been solved and filed away before I've had a chance to be moved by them or even begun to catch a glimpse of who they might be. They've been neutralized. There's hardly any action quite so undemanding, so utterly unimaginative as a fixing a label. It is the costliest of mental shortcuts." If you want to grow in your uh, compassion for people, the first thing is not to just search your mind when you meet somebody for a label. Well, that's a liberal. Maybe they had a hateful dad. Right? Um, that is a, just a drug-ridden, useless waste of flesh. Man, do you know their story? You know. That, they did that, that's who they are. Man, you've done stuff, is that who you are? If we're going to have compassion on people, and even compassion on people in the church, we have to realize that people are complex, and there's a lot of things feeding into what they do, and some of it uh, deserves Uh, hard words, and some of it deserves just compassion, right? So Jesus didn't label people. As the author says, there's hardly any action quite so undemanding, so utterly unimaginative as the affixing of a label. It's the costliest of mental shortcuts. Instead of looking at someone and saying you're a hard-hearted conservative, you're a bleeding-heart liberal, ask them why it is they believe what they believe. Dig into their story. If someone's struggling with something you don't understand, maybe they just have something in their life that you've not been through. And maybe by speaking to them, your compassion for them will grow. Compassion isn't the excusing of sin. Compassion is the dropping of a label and realizing that every single person is a mystery and is a complex story. And Jesus always dealt with people that way. So that woman who was uh, brought to him who came to him at the well, right? She tried to hide herself. Jesus knew her. You've had lots of husbands, and the one you're living with now is not your husband. And she goes, okay, I see you're a prophet. But Jesus didn't say, you're an adulteress. Sit here while I go find some stones. That scene of Jesus meeting that adulterous woman in the well is a motif in the Bible, because usually when men met a woman in the well at the Old Testament, they ended up marrying them. And so Jesus looked at this woman with all of this history of bad marriages and he doesn't go that you're just like any any label that comes to your mind. You're just that. Jesus says, I'll be your husband. I'll fix your story. So not only did Jesus not label people, but Jesus also looked at people. Listen, let's just Listing of verses here. When Jesus saw him, he had compassion. Luke 15, the story of the prodigal son. His father saw him and felt compassion. And Jesus himself with the widow at Nain, when the Lord saw her, he had compassion. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion. He saw a great crowd and he had compassion. Now, one thing I don't want to happen from this sermon is this. is for you to get overburdened because Jesus is Jesus and you're not Jesus, right? Are we called to fix every problem? No, we can't. We can't fix every problem. But I think what the Lord wants us to do is to drop our labels and to open our eyes so that we can look at people with compassion. Because that's what we see in him and the application of today's sermon is this is that we should be drawn to the authority and to the compassion of christ and having watched this day in his life we should seek to want to be like him in the small little way that we can when people have problems to really try and look at them there are times where you have to make a judgment and say This is sinful, you're unrepentant, I'm going to have to separate. But there's also a place for just looking at where people are at and trying to deal with them with compassion. Drop your label and look. What Mark is saying as we look at Jesus over this day period is that he's everything that is needed to be your Savior and your Lord. And so, by God's grace, I hope you will come to him this morning if you do not know him as your Savior and your Lord. And if you are a follower of his, I pray that you will just remember that his word has authority. And so, we should be speaking his word, and that word should be matched with compassion because it was so matched in our Lord Jesus. Let's go to him in prayer. Father, thank you for Jesus. We need authority. Things that are bad need to be restrained. We need someone who, with the word, can speak and fix problems. But, Lord, not only are we sinners, we're broken, and we need compassion. So we pray that you would fill our church with the sense of the authority of your word and a sense of the compassion that we need to have for one another. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen.